Hello to all you unconventional conventionists. Welcome back to Rocky Talkie. It's a Rocky Horror Podcast where we talk about anything and everything Rocky Talkie. I'm John. I'm Nikki. I'm Aaron. And it's the 50th fucking episode. Yeah! I That's can't believe like we've been doing my this age. for, no. like, at this point, what, almost, almost a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's almost an entire year. Wow. I would be in shock, but I feel like for the past year, every single episode, I'm like, is this our one year anniversary? And you guys have to be like, Nikki, there are not 30 weeks in a year. <laughs> Bless your heart. Hey. All right. Well, what did we do this week? Anything fun? Anything entertaining? Anything that has nothing to do with Rocky Horror? I mean, yeah, for me, this was a massive week related to a real world work this week for those of you that don't know was which is probably all of you was the big dc fandom event just yesterday at time of recording uh which has been the thing that i've been working on for work for the past i don't know four or five months uh yesterday was the big live show where dc announced all of their upcoming content for next year including an exclusive new batman trailer if you haven't seen that go check it out it looks fucking awesome and yeah spoilers that's uh that's what i do for work and that's what i've been working on for a long time and it is out the door it went live yesterday there was the big live show i am so happy to have that as a massive weight off my shoulder you guys know how that is right you finish a big giant project and you just kind of sit down afterwards and you're like it's done it, yeah. it's done that's it it's done yep so now i can uh you know start working on the next big thing on monday but for <laughs> for, for one day for this sunday that we're recording ah, oh, i am free <laughs> what were you up to this week john so nothing really interesting or well actually i can't say that a lot of things have been interesting this past week however i'm not really at liberty to talk about most of them right now but I can say that one of the most amazing things that happened to me this week is that I bought a new microphone. Ooh. Yeah. So is that why you sound sexier? Yeah. So for the audiophiles who listen to Rocky Talkie, you'll probably notice that my microphone quality is like a million times better. If anyone is curious as to what kind of microphone I'm using, I do be using the Shure MV7, and it is crisp. Mm. highly recommend it was like 270 280 bucks new something like that uh go buy one if you're in the market for like a really high-end usb mic but i figured that because i'm doing rocky talkie weekly i stream every night it was probably best for me to get a microphone that was geared towards podcasting streaming things like that so here i am with a fancy schmancy mic and I have been trying to find so many uses out of it, and I'm finding them. Go get yourself a Shure M7, everybody. And go subscribe to John's ASMR channel. Yes, twitch.tv slash hi, John, I'm dad. I do nothing <laughs> but ASMR on that channel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Upsetting. <laughs> what about you, Nikki? What's been going on? Okay, well, I don't want to break the rules, but this week, basically, all I've been doing is Rocky Horror, because, um, you know, we're on the Halloween Forever Tour. We got five more stops. Just saying, go to my Instagram, at NicoleFLW, for more information. Shameless self-promo. Um, but I've just been performing so much. Like, I played Janet last night, and I'm playing Rocky tonight, or I played Janet on Friday, and I'm playing Rocky tonight, and my body is falling apart. 
So I think <laughs> next week I will be hanging out with my chiropractor for a, a large duration of the week. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, but other than that, I haven't really been doing much. I've just kind of been vibing and like trying to stay sane. You know? You know? You've been there. <laughs> you know what I noticed though? A lot of people on my cast, and I'm sure in the grand scheme of the community, are talking about this this funny little thing. I don't know. I've never heard of it. It might be like French. It's called RKO4. I don't know, but it seems to be all the buzz right now. All I'm going to say is that I have my hotel room. Oh. Yeah, we still haven't booked our, our, our hotel room yet. We got to do that. Aaron, it's free. We go a day before and stay a day after. So we oh, have to yeah, call you're right. Them. Yeah. yeah, we have to call them to get it. Cause Wait, it's... it's free? Well, I mean, you pay when you check in. It is oh. definitely not free. You still got to have a thousand dollars when you get there. Oh, but. really? I didn't know that. That's so inconvenient. Like that's so convenient. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, "Yeah, I'll get it now." Thanks, yeah, book it. Roy. <laughs> and if you want even more about RKO, well, hold on. Do we have a treat in store for you? all of you unconventional conventionists. It's time for an RKOCon 4 update from your 2022 Rocky Horror Picture Show Convention Masters, the RKO Army. As always, it's coming to you direct from us, the crew over at the Rocky Talkie Podcast. Woo. Yay! Hell yeah. Woo! Mm. Oh my goodness. But it's not just us this time. For this announcement, we are honored to be able to include a very, very special guest. The devastatingly talented and breathtakingly beautiful Rowan Kamor. Hey, I so happy to be here. This announcement is even hotter than last time and so fresh it's literally being taken out of the oven right now as of this announcement. Okay, this is it Rowan. Are you ready to make this humongous RKO announcement to the whole entire world? Drumroll please. Hedwig. Woo! Yeah! Oh, oh, they said Hedwig! Oh my god! They said said Hedwig. Yeah, so Hedwig, essentially, for those of you who do not know, is a rock musical in the same vein, and I'll only call it here, it's the same vein of Rocky Horror, only because it says so on the back of the DVD. It is a cult rock musical about a genderqueer rock performer from East Berlin who underwent an unwanted botched sex change operation, leaving them with an angry ink. That is where the title comes from. Essentially, the movie follows their story as they basically talk about their life and their tragedy through song, and it is absolutely beautiful. I highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it before, especially with the newest 4K remaster. And we're going to do it at RKO4! For the first time ever. It has never been done at a Rocky Con previously. This is going to be the first ever debut of it. Ah! Oh my god! Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. He said Hedwig. Multiple times! <laughs> oh my god. This is so exciting. I am personally a huge Hedwig fan. And it's going to be just amazing to get to see it. Especially now with an all-star con version. So, as you said, Rowan, this will be the first time Hedwig will be performed at a con. So, what made you decide to do one now? 
Well, it was something that was often requested for us to do at our con. As you know, RKO Con is pretty famous for bringing together lots of alternate productions outside of Rocky. As you might know, we currently do Dr. Horrible, Shock Treatment, Repo the Genetic Opera, etc. Hedwig was at the top of the list for a long time. A lot of people wanted to perform in this show and never have before because their casts don't do it. So, in turn, after lots of talks with Roy, we decided to bring it to Khan. Is this your first time directing or acting in a Hedwig show? Have you done it before? If so, who did you play? So, funny enough, I originated the Shadow Cast at RKO back in, I want to say, 2018, early 2018. And I had originated the, the Shadow Cast as directing it as well as playing Hedvig along with a few other RKO cast members that are also casting this with me. Now, I originally played Hedvig, although I have veered off and I play basically any role where at this point I can just fill into. This sounds amazing, Rowan. I am so here for it. Tell me, who else from RKO is uh, working with you? So who else is casting the show with me would be 13 of RKO Army. She has been my right-hand person throughout basically all of my process with doing Hedvig. While I've been being the casting director and directing it, she's also just kind of been in the back of my head helping me with everything. So I'm very happy to have her helping me with this as well. I'm super curious. What part of putting this show together are you most excited about? Well, I'm really excited to see other people other than just RKO performers do the show. Even though I had directed it in 2018 and we've been doing it at RKO for so long, I myself have never actually seen another cast perform this show. I know it gets done by a few others, but I personally have never seen anybody other than us do it. So it's going to be really exciting to see the community come together and really just embrace this cult film to its best degree. Awesome. So do you foresee any major challenges for this show? Like, is there a way you're going to work to mitigate them ahead of time? I mean, I know Hedwig is super difficult as far as like blocking and crazy costume changes. Yeah. So when I was initially thinking about bringing it to con, the biggest issue that I was thinking of was, oh my God, the blocking could be so complicated that we aren't sure if people are just going to know this on their own. So something that I'm going to be doing is once people are cast in the show, I'm going to have a full blocking write-up as well as a full costume guide that I'll be able to send people. This will make it so much easier for them to get a feel of how our show runs. On top of that, we're also going to send them photos of our past shows so they can also get a feel visually of what they look like. So I gotta know, are you guys planning on having that crazy full hair suit that Hedwig wears? We are planning a full hair suit. Yep. Oh, I mean, that sounds amazing. I, I always know, like, when I see, like, The Room or, or one of these other shows that I'm not super familiar with, I'm always sitting there going, okay, maybe I could do that, but I'm not exactly sure. So it sounds like you got that all taken care of ahead of time. That's fantastic. RKO does juggle so many alternate productions that it's kind of tough to keep track of all of them. But we are thankful to have so many great leaders within our cast who put so much time and effort into making sure that our shows run so well. For those of us who may not have seen the movie in a long time or maybe even ever, how many roles are there to be auditioned for? So Hedwig is actually slightly a, a bit of a bigger ensemble than some of our other shows. There are 19 total roles within the show, and that includes both main characters and background characters. We obviously have Hedwig, Yitzhak, Tommy Gnosis, which are the main three. But then we also have so many vibrantly just fun background characters and sub-characters that, you know, I would just love to see performed with for people that actually really, really want to be in it. So could you tell us a little bit about what the audition process will be like, if you know right now? 
like, can you give our listeners any insight as to what you'll be looking for in an audition for some of the major roles? Yeah. So essentially for an audition process, it'll run similar to how our other alternate productions get auditioned for at RKOCon. So essentially what will happen is if you keep your eye on the RKOCon page, eventually we'll put up posts about auditioning. And this isn't necessarily just open to people who are on Rocky Casts. Anybody could do this. Normally what the directions will be, you can have a little description of yourself sent to them as well as a photo of yourself either in costume or just a headshot. What we would really, really love to see is a video of you performing one of the scenes live. It doesn't have to be in costume or anything, but just so we can get a feel of who you are as a performer, that would be amazing. Yeah, historically, RKO cons have been very community first when it comes to casting shows. Like, they tend to cast themselves last for performance roles and make sure everyone in the community has a shot at getting picked for the roles they want, which is amazing. You guys are very hospitable. Uh, but let's say, in some world, casting comes up a tiny bit short and there's one role vacancy in this show that you, Rowan, have to fill in for. What would you most want to perform as? I would have to say probably Hedvig because that's the role that I had started off with. Although I have been really, really, really wanting to play one of the band members. So in the event that all of these Hedvig roles get filled up, I would absolutely adore being in the band for once. Nice. Which costume Hedwig, if you had to pick? Oh, if I had to pick the costume of the Hedvig that I would want to play most, it would probably be... Tear Me Down, the opening number, only because mm. I love, love, love the denim outfit that Hedvig wears, and it's just so iconic and memorable that I love wearing it whenever I can. Amazing. And lastly, just for fun, you're about to be a casting director for this show, so here's a warm-up. If you had to cast all four of us as Hedwig characters, who would we play and why? <laughs> awesome. All right, so I'll start with John. I have always, always, always wanted John to play Hedvig. I'm just going to put that out there and manifest it. I have always wanted John to play Hedvig. So that is absolutely my pick for that. For Nikki, I would say probably Yitzhak. I feel like Nikki would be able to do an incredible Yitzhak just based off photos that I've seen of Nikki as Rocky or Janet or just other roles. I, I just think it'd be perfect. For Jacob, I would really love to see Jacob as Schlotko, the drummer, because it's just so chaotic and energetic that I feel like Jacob would be perfect at that. And Aaron... This is going to be kind of out of the pocket, but I would love to see Aaron play baby Hansel, which is Hedvig when Hedvig <laughs> is younger. It is just so funny. I love when like people that are clearly not looking like that role play that role because it just adds so much more comedy to it. So I would absolutely pick Aaron to be baby Hedvig. Fuck it. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> four down. How many more to go? You said 19? Yep. 19. Yeah, four down. What is it? 15 to go. Let's go. Guy does math. <laughs> Live on air. Rowan, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We are all beyond excited that we're finally going to get a Hedwig show at a con. Yes. So everybody out there, stay tuned for more exclusive info about upcoming con events and how you can participate. Hey, Rowan, before we leave, is there anything you're working on right now you're doing that you want to share with us or the community? Well, if you have an interest in seeing the stage production of Hedvig, the original script from the 1998 off-Broadway show, I am currently directing and starring in it in Providence, Rhode Island on November 27th and 28th. So if you'd like to see that, check out my social media and you can find lots of info. Trip, trip to Providence, guys? Trip to Providence? 
Don't forget to tune in to us, the Rocky Talking Podcast, for all the latest in global and community Rocky Horror news. We're over at RockyTalkiePodcast.com. We'll see you all at RKOCon 4. Bye. Bye-bye. Later. Bye. Penis. Thank you so much, Rowan. And with that, let's get started with our first segment. That uh, that would be global news. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, oh. mm-hmm. in mm. case anybody forgot the organization mm. of our show. Yeah. First up, in global news, we have an Oakley Court update. It's a hotel. Actually, ahem. <clears throat> It's an estate. Actually, this time, it's haunted. Ooh. Oakley Court, as we all know, has been the set and backdrop for a multitude of horror films since the mid-60s when production company Hammer Film Productions, who are obviously known for their horror films, used it as the backdrop for their first five horror films. That's right, guys. In addition to our beloved Rocky Horror, the castle has also been the setting for two Frankenstein movies, The Curse of Frankenstein and The Evil of Frankenstein, and two Dracula movies, The Brides of Dracula and Dracula, Prince of Darkness, as well as the 2020 Dracula series, plus a whole lot more. Now, what usually happens when you film a bunch of B-horror movies in a spooky castle is you end up with a haunted castle. Well, people, this case is no different. According to a recent article by Berkshire Live, residents and the general public have reported numerous spooky happenings on castle grounds since the 1960s. The castle... Actually, it's an estate. ...was built in 1859 and originally owned by Sir Richard Hall Say, that's the Sheriff of Berkshire. Ooh, spooky, angry English fighting the power of ghosts. Boo! Then it was passed down his line until 1919, when the building was bought by Ernest Olivier, who was at the time the Turkish Consul General in Monte Carlo. During the Second World War, Oakley served as the HQ of the French Resistance. Ooh, military Nazi fighting ghosts. Boo! After which, ownership was handed back to Olivier. In the 60s, he had it turned into apartments, and when he died... Ooh, rich landowner ghost. Oh! Hammer Film Productions started to use it for their movies in 1965. So, as you can see, this place is mega haunted. Ghosts to the nines. But don't take our word for it. Over the years, Oakley has accrued quite the portfolio of ghost viewing witness testimony. First off, since the 60s, Oakley has had a reputation of being evil. One of the resident scary ghost castles for Windsor. This cultural sentiment was only spurred by multiple accidental, i.e. ghost-related, accidental drownings. Not only in the tame sex of the castle, but also inside the castle. There are two groups of people drowning in their homes. Poorly looked after toddlers and people unlucky enough to face the wrath of ghosts. Oblivious to, or perhaps in spite of, the ghastly reputation of the castle, one Penelope Gallernault, her husband, and their two children moved into Oakley in the converted servants' quarters. Within three years, both of their children had died by drowning. And in 1972, Penelope further reported paranormal sightings on castle grounds, saying, 
I started to see people walking in the grounds wearing hoods. One morning, I found a box on the doorstep. When I opened it, I was horrified to see the body of one of my cats with its neck broken. And Penelope also told reporters, the house has an aura of evil, and I could never go back there. Do, 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 boo. Horror films being made there might seem like a joke, said Penelope. I'm sure evil has rubbed off on the place or something awful has been invoked. I can think of at least two evils that have rubbed off at Oakley Court, and their names are Aaron and John. Well, rude. I didn't even stay there for the wedding. Yeah, I, I did. and uh... But it's not just Penelope. A senior policeman who had responded to calls about strange sightings in the area said, quote, There have been some strange happenings at the house, which have never been fully explained. We made regular patrols after complaints about witchcraft being practiced and things seem to have quieted down for now. And it's true. After the 70s, the ghosts seemed to die down. But one soul, brave enough to speak up about the spooky horrors, came forward in 2016 about his stay at Oakley on TripAdvisor, saying, My girlfriend and I spent a sleepless night in the hotel. After both independently experiencing a bizarre, cold, and uncomfortable presence in room 337 for most of the night. Needless to say, we were astounded when we got home and googled Oakley Court Hotel Haunting. We thank you, Nick H., for speaking fact to truth about the Oakley Terror when no one else would. Thanks, Nick H. You're the hero we all deserve. I've got to ask you both, did you get to experience any terrifying encounters while you were there a few years ago? Uh, honestly, not really. The only thing that really freaked me out about Oakley Court was that there was an inane amount of spiders. Yeah, mostly the spiders. Yeah, they were everywhere. There was like this one hallway that kind of connects one part of the hotel to another part of the hotel. And it's covered in windows. But at night, when you walked by and you looked out the windows, literally all you saw were just like gangs of arachnids just vibing on their webs. And I'm talking like, I'm not talking like one, two, three, like I'm talking like a dozen a web. Nothing about that sparks joy. I will never be attending. Yeah. Like, I, and I've always told people like when I've told them that I've gone to a wedding at Oakley Court, I've been to the place where they filmed Rocky. Everyone is always like, oh my God, that's so cool. What was it like? And I was like, if you have some level of arachnophobia, do not go to Oakley Court because you will hate every second there. I mean, I can't say I ever saw anything spooky or haunted there, but I mean, the grounds themselves are just awesome. They have that, that, that very, like they're open all the time, right? So even in the middle of the night, you can just go wander around Oakley Court, like the grounds around it. And like, it's relatively well lit, but not quite enough. So everything kind of does have that little bit of like, stately English spooky manner at two o'clock in the morning kind of vibe. Throw a bottle of wine on top of that, and hell yeah, I bet you'll see some ghosts. <laughs> it definitely, like, when you get there, you definitely feel the idea that it is probably haunted. But just that's just, you know, all good English castles come with, right, with exactly. several ghosts. Like, that's a given. So in my professional paranormal hunting experience, it's haunted all right. Haunted with spiders. Again... Oakley Court is the Rocky Castle located in England, and it works as a hotel. 
Tickets for the annual Rocky Picnic next year were on sale shortly ago, but they're already sold out. So I don't know. Wait for next year. Well, if any of our listeners have made the pilgrimage to the castle... Actually, it's an estate. ...and want to share any ghost sightings with us, or just any fun stories in general, shoot us a message and we'd love to read your story on air. With that, let's move on to something a little less spooky and a little more... Bird poopy. I don't like that. That's right. We're talking about the Riff statue. For those who don't know, the Riff Raff statue is a bronze likeness of Richard O'Brien dressed as Takeover Spacesuit Riff. The statue is mounted on a pedestal featuring a Transylvanian lightning bolt and a dedication plaque featuring the lips. The statue is located in Hamilton, New Zealand, on the former site of the barbershop Richard worked during the time he worked on the first iteration of the Rocky Horror Show. In 2016, a sonic transducer was added, along with some bathrooms. There's even a live cam on the website, and you can even download a picture of yourself standing by the statue. Of course, the statue has its own website, because why wouldn't it? You can find it at www.riffraffstatue.org. I can't believe that exists. (laughs) It was announced this past week that the Rift statue will soon be temporarily relocated to make room for construction of a new regional theater. As part of this construction, Embassy Park, where the statue lives, will be redesigned to complement the new entrance to the new theater. This redesign will be done with both the theater and the Rift statue in mind. They're planning to build an even fancier area for Riff and the guests who come to the park to pay him a visit. Currently, the city council is looking for a temporary home for Riff Raff, so... If you're in the area and you've got a storage locker or a spare bedroom available, give the Hamilton City Council a call. Or don't. Probably don't. Everyone in Hamilton, we're assured, loves the statue. It's iconic and has put the town on the map as well as made it a huge tourist draw. According to Mayor Paula Southgate, Riff Raff is Hamilton's city treasure. And now for our next segment, we have something about... Wait a minute. K-pop? Is this right? K-pop? Yeah, K-pop. What do you got against K-pop, Aaron? The Phoenix Theater Company is putting on a production of the Rocky Horror Show, and at the elm is their Frankenfurter, Shime Costa, who has a storied history from reaching national popularity in Croatia at 13 years old to forming EXP Edition, which is one of the first non-Korean K-pop bands in 2017. Shime was born in Croatia, and by the age of 13, he had released three albums, as well as appearing several times on national television. He later enrolled in Arizona State University, where he got a degree in musical theater and performed in a college production of the Rocky Horror Show, also as Frank. He said the performance was one of the, quote, most amazing acting experiences of his life. After graduating college in 2008, Shime moved to New York to try to make it as a musical theater actor. But, whoops, he accidentally slipped and fell into a wildly successful band instead. Hate when that happens. Yeah, same. I hate when I become famous for things. Oops. EXP Edition started out as the thesis project of Bora Kim, an at-the-time master's student of art and sociology. Her thesis went on to be titled, I'm making a boy band. She and two colleagues started to run management for a self-developed boy band that was made to question the identity of K-pop bands. There's even a Vice documentary about their whole experience. 
The thesis made the rounds on social media in October 2014, but it wasn't until April 2017, a full two and a half years of preparation later, that EXP Edition debuted with their single, Feel Like This. And as you might guess, the formation of a non-Korean K-pop group did stir up some controversy. For example, according to an article on Fronteris.com, when the band first became popular, there was a K-pop forum website that asked, who's more handsome, EXO or EXP? And after you answered that question, it asked, why? And it gave two options. I like Asian men or I like white black men. Oh, yikes. Yeah, Racism. that's pretty gross. Yeah, unfortunately, the group has seen quite a bit of this sort of negativity within the K-pop community over their band's identity. Nevertheless, what started as a thesis in 2014 is still going strong today. Though Shimei is taking a break for a bit to perform back in the States, including his current role as Frankenfurter with the Phoenix Theatre Company. Shimei is incredibly excited to be returning to the role. He's told journalists that he's most looking forward to the audience interaction and playing Frank with all the extravaganza of a rock concert. If you're in or around the Phoenix area and would like to catch Shimei on stage, the Rocky Horror Show will be playing at the Phoenix Theatre Company until December 5th, where you can snag tickets for as low as $45. If you'd like to check it out, you can visit phoenixtheatrecompany.com. It's also linked for you in our show notes. And with that, I think it's time to head on over to Community News. First up in community news, we're going to talk semen. What? Semen. Um, John Stantinople, I, I don't think that it's that kind of a show. Aaron, we talked about this. We have to give the people what they want. Yes, but not at the expense of our reputations, Nikki. My mother listens to this show. Listen, Aaron, it's not like it's anything to be ashamed of. Sex work is work, okay? And if anybody listening to this show has anything to say about that, Mom... Yo, what the fuck are you both going on about? I will not debase the quality of content I put out into the world. My name is on this. What if my colleagues see this? There's you know, nothing this wrong could be... with talking about perfectly natural human bodily functions. There's no reason for us to shame people for things we all do. Next, you're going to try to shame people for farting. Okay, I'm going to need you both to hold your goddamn horses. First of all, Aaron, all of your colleagues know about semen. I promise. We ain't surprising them, buddy. I mean, I guess, but... Yeah, and second of all, Nikki, I fart. I fart all the time. I'm farting and scrolling on Facebook right now. Okay. Third of all, I don't mean semen like cum or jizz, brogurt, baby batter. Clam sauce. Spooge. Yeah, exactly. I mean seamen. Like, like sailors. Like, men of the sea. Oh. Alrighty then, lay it on me. Okay, so, first up in community news, the Mirage, which is South Africa's newest, biggest, thickest, and safest private yacht, is getting into the Halloween spirit with Rocky Horror. The Mirage is a luxury 76-foot catamaran that offers a five-star experience to its guests with decor, dining, a full bar, a performance area perfect for musical and theatrical performances, and even a trampoline area. But the boat most often hosts private events like private parties and weddings, but every few weeks, the company itself hosts yacht parties that are open to anyone who's lucky enough to snag tickets. 
These tend to be themed events, like decade-based dance parties and murder mystery dinners, that kind of thing. But more recently, the Mirage has started hosting Rocky Horror Yacht Parties. They held their first sold-out event just this month on October 2nd, and they have upcoming Encore events scheduled for October 23rd, November 5th, and December 30th. This is a three-hour-long Rocky Horror Extravaganza at Sea that'll run you 950 South African rands, which equals about 65 U.S. dollars or 146th of a franc jacket. Your ticket includes welcome drinks, exclusive Rocky-themed gifts, a special audience participation bag to make sure you and your friends get the full Shadowcast experience, plus tons of pre-show entertainment. And of course, it's Rocky. It's Halloween. Costumes are an absolute must at this party. So if any of our listeners live in or around the South African area, definitely check out one of these parties. They sound absolutely bonkers. If you want to grab yourself a ticket, the link's in our show notes. Wait, that's it? Three pages of lead-up for, like, one page of actual content? And to educate the public on new and interesting names for man-chowder? And speaking of providing public services... Next up in community news, for any of our listeners in the Colorado area, specifically Colorado Springs, local painter and filmmaker Tim Furlow has chosen to celebrate the spookiest month by gracing his community with a shit ton of Rocky art. Tim Furlow is a Colorado-based artist whose life's mantra is that art is everywhere you look for it, and Tim is on a constant search. Tim particularly enjoys painting pop art, which is the kind with bold, colorful outlines filled in with little tiny dots. And guys, Tim is diverse in his artistic styles. He's got all kinds of awesome shit going on. First off, he's recently created and released a gorgeous series of seven Rocky Horror paintings in his favorite bold pop art style. Tim posted a sneak peek of the works on his social media only a few days ago. The pieces that have been leaked feature Frank showing off his boss tattoo, Rocky looking like the buff god that he is, and Eddie surrounded by a metric fuckton of blood splatter behind him. When Tim posted the pictures, he was sure to let his followers know that the paintings were already sold. Damn, good for him. But there is still a few different ways anyone interested can experience them. Tim is partnering with the... Anticipations Shadowcast, who perform at the Carter Payne Theater to sell prints of these beautiful works at their performances. You know, if you want to pick one up. The Anticipations is a Shadowcast, but not just a Rocky one. They've also acted alongside The Princess Bride, Clue, even Mean Girls. But of course, tis the season. The Anticipations will be holding their annual fall Rocky Horror performances on October 21st through 23rd and October 28th through 31st. The cast sells $20 general admission tickets or $55 VIP tickets, which include a bottle of beer made custom for their Rocky performances, reserved seating, a cast meet and greet, and guaranteed on-stage fuckery for the virgin of your choice. It could be you or some poor schmuck you bring along to the show. I just saw these beers pop up the other day. They're they're uh they're pumpkin flavored. Ooh. Yeah, right. I don't drink beer at all, but this year I've really jumped on the whole pumpkin train. I used to shit on it for so long, but I'm like, John, just let people enjoy things and I'm a believer. Yes, Sam and uh, Trey from over at JCCP just sent us an awesome bottle of pumpkin whiskey. I'm so excited to dig into that. 
I just mm. be loving all pumpkin. I'm a white girl. Like, yeah. come on. And you're allowed to enjoy it, Nikki. Yeah. So plus, on Halloween, they snazz their show all the way up with cocktails available for patrons throughout their performance. And I heard a rumor you can even buy Tim Furlow Rocky prints at these shows. Shit, man. These sound like fun. Why aren't we going? Road trip, road trip, road trip. Well, if any of our listeners are interested in going, we've got a link to the cast's social media in our show notes where you can find all the deets about their upcoming performances. But wait, there's more. That's not all we've got about Tim Furlow. He's a busy man. He's got a lot going on. Really? There's more? You bet your ass he's got more. Tim is a worldly guy. He knows a lot of people. He's got a lot of connections, if you know what I mean. What do you mean? Well, not only is Tim working with the local shadow cast, he's also partnering with Chef Brother Luck, a celebrity chef who has appeared on shows like Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay, and two seasons of Bravo's Top Chef. He and Tim are joining forces to create and prepare Rocky Har Art Dinner, a seven-course meal inspired by the art and the film of Rocky Har. Tim's seven paintings will set the stage for a Rocky-inspired meal featuring dishes like red lip, which includes beet syrup, beet powder, beet sorbet, roasted red beets, burrata, beet chips, and red vein sorrel. And then we can try a yummy bite of hapatuti, which is, of course, a lamb meatloaf dish with parsnip puree and a demi-glaze. And we can wrap it all up with a nibble of Don't Dream It, Be It, a pumpkin and cranberry chocolate dish with chipotle spices. This is some high-end shit, you guys. Like, there's only 20 seats available to this $150 per plate experience. But, hey, when's the next time you're going to get to eat that many beets in one sitting, right? Well, if any of our listeners get a chance to attend, please write in and tell us all about it. We love hearing all the cool Rocky-flavored shenanigans you guys get up to. Or if you've got a show coming up that you're really excited about or a Rocky-themed project you're working on, we want to share all of that, too. Just go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out the contact form to tell us all about it. All this talk about dinners and beets and Rocky flavors is making me hungry. Well, then I think it's time to grab a little snacky snack over in... Nikki asks a question. Nikki asks a question. Nikki asks a question. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Guys, can you believe it? 50. We've all come together for 50 delicious knack snacks. Uh, actually, uh, we skipped that one week that you were out and it was just John and, uh, and I. Yeah, and a couple times Jacob jerked it for us instead. Okay, fuck you and fuck you and fuck Jacob too. It's the 50th episode. It's the 50th knack snack. I am Nikki, queen of Nikki asks a question and history is whatever I say it is. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. who else? You know who else can change history? Hmm. Crack dot com apparently. Oh God damn it, Aaron! You want to fact check a listicle? I'll list your ickle your list if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, got him. <laughs> we know what you mean, but no, I want to do my thing. Fuck your thing. What's your thing? Aaron's all butthurt because Crack.com did their yearly, hey, look, it's October. Let's do an article about Rocky Horror. And this year, they had some particularly spicy hot takes that they compiled as 
Behind the Scenes, 13 Facts About the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, I saw that. There were a lot of people in the community that chimed in on those posts. I've never seen an article shit on so hard by the community. But depending on whose comment you go by, the facts in this thing are either 100% totally fabricated or partially accurate or a few little fibs. So I'll bite. I'm a little curious. No, damn it. I want to do my thing. We can do your thing. What's your thing? We'll knock through these real quick first, and then we can do whatever Nikki wants to do to celebrate our 50th Knack Snack. Fine. Deal. You're gonna regret it. I'm sure we will. So if you haven't seen this cracked article yet, it dropped at the end of last week and is supposedly 13 behind-the-scenes facts all about the creation of the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie. But some of them, well, some of these facts seem a little off. And some... Some I know that we've covered on the show before and are also not exactly true. So item number one, or 13, I don't know, listicles work in reverse. Item one, according to Cracked, Rocky Horror is the longest running theatrical release ever. On its initial release, it was a critical failure. A year later, thanks to an executive at 20th Century Fox, it was regularly screened at a midnight showing in New York. The midnight showing grew in popularity, with copycats springing up across the country for over 40 years. They cite an article from The Atlantic for this one. Starting off on a good note, like this one is mostly true. Rocky is definitely the longest running theatrical release ever. Yeah, the details, though, are a little off. It, it was true that the initial release was a failure. Well, I mean, mostly. Except for in Los Angeles at the United Artists Westwood Theater, where it actually premiered. It did fairly well there, with devotees of the Roxy stage show attending the movie again and again. But otherwise, it was pretty much a flop everywhere else. There is an account even before the film would hit the midnight movie circuit, that at least one small-town theater manager reported that groups made up of the same 40 or 50 people were returning to see the film every week. But Crack does get it right that it wouldn't explode until it hit the midnight movie circuit, though their timeline is a little off as well. Right. They call it a year later, but Rocky actually opened September 26, 1975 in L.A., it was April Fool's of 1976 that it opened at the Waverly Theater. So, close. Seven months or so. You can give them a pass on that one. And they got it right that it was an executive at Fox, Tim Deegan, that worked to get it into the midnight movie circuit. But not first before trying it as a double feature with the 1974 Brian De Palma cult classic, Phantom of the Paradise. Which, of course, stars Jessica Harper, who would later go on to play Janet in Shock Treatment. That went about as well as you can expect. I personally really enjoy Phantom, but it doesn't hold a candle to Rocky. And the last thing that they mention in this first fact, that midnight showings grew in popularity as copycats sprung up around the country. Well, I think we all know that that's kind of like a half-truth at best. It's well documented that the spontaneous nature of callbacks and the Rocky Horror experience evolved independently in a huge variety of places. By the middle of 1976, you had late-night showings with participation in New York, L.A., the Riverside Twin in Austin, Texas, with many, many others soon to follow, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and so on. And once the cat was out of the bag, so to speak, all the theaters started iterating and evolving and adding bits they had heard and seen from out of town. Not like a copycat situation, but an independent evolution. 
So I think, all told, we can give Cracked the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'd say it's mostly correct. All right, awesome. Just a note, if we're going to do my thing, we've got to get through these a fuck ton faster. Like, a lot, lot faster. Anyway, number two, or 12. Fuck listicles. According to Cracked, the opening act was going to be shot in black and white. Brad and Jane's dull life was initially designed to be black and white, with the first color being Frankenfurter's red lips on the elevator. The studio rejected the idea. Did did you just say Brad and Jane? Yep, that's what it says. Brad and Jane. Well, next? Yeah, this one is easy enough. Typos aside, it's true that the movie was going to start in black and white. We went over that a ton in our episode about the Wizard of Oz tie-ins with Rocky, one of them being the opening in black and white until Frank turns around in the elevator. The inaccuracy here. Other than, you know, (laughs) Brad and Jane, is that it wasn't necessarily the studio that rejected the idea. Right. It hasn't been super well documented exactly who made that call or what the series of events was that resulted in the black and white opening being axed. But nearly all of the pre-production work was done with the black and white opening in mind. Sue Blaine designed her costumes to work in black and white. Brian Thompson designed the sets to be shot without color. The shooting script from only a few months before filming would begin still had it planned out for black and white. The studio may have played a hand, but there's no proper citation for that. Alrighty, next up. Meatloaf was in a wheelchair for the motorcycle scenes. A stunt double rode the motorcycle, but for close-up shots, they put Meatloaf in a wheelchair since it was a less dangerous option. However, he still got injured. His stand-in tried to catch him and broke his leg. So this one's, like, fairly accurate, right? The source is, after all, directly from Meatloaf's special feature that was released with the DVD. I know Aaron knows it. It's the one where he shows off that he still owns Eddie's jacket. Uh, Yeah, Cracked does repeat basically what meatloaf says on the commentary however meat is a consummate storyteller there definitely was some injuries during the shooting for hot patootie that is true the order of the events and the details around it though are a bit nebulous overall though this seems to track The close-up shots of Meatloaf riding around are definitely him in a wheelchair, and it is reported from multiple sources that the wheelchair did suffer an accident. The details of that accident, or again, the order of events, and frankly, how much of a role Meatloaf played in them, I think that's a topic for a whole other episode. Damn right it is. We had a write-in about this very topic pop-up from our good friend Sam the Hobo, and we'll be following up on an upcoming episode, so stay tuned for that. But all right, so that one, relatively accurate. Good job, Cracked. Next up, the composer doesn't understand how it's still popular. Richard Hartley said, The film's a bit long, and it's so slow. It wilts after an hour and then picks up again. That might explain why audience participation started to play a big part at screenings. They probably got bored, so they started answering back. This one's also pretty straightforward. It's a quote from Richard Hartley. Cracked cites it from a Guardian piece from several years ago. But to say that he doesn't understand how it's still popular, well, he never said that. The actual quote from this Guardian article is, quote, I'm staggered it's such a phenomenon. That's not the same thing. Richard Hartley, being with Rocky from the very, 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 very beginning, certainly had a front row seat to its meteoric rise. Not just a front row seat, he was leading the band. So this one is an accurate quote with a misleading headline. 
Good job, Cracked. And while we're on the topic of the music, coming up next is, well, probably one of the more misleading ones on here. It says, Time Warp was added to Pad Time. The iconic song wasn't in the original production of the show. It was added to extend the 40-minute play to feature length as well as add a dance number. Yeah, at best, this is a lie of omission. It's true that Time Warp was added during rehearsals in order to pad out some time. That is true. It was concocted by Richard O'Brien and Kimmy Wong at Jim Sharman's request. The intention was to add a dance number, and Richard delivered the time warp as a spoof on the endless variety of 60s dance graces, like the twist, the hucklebuck, the pony, the watusi, the mashed potato, and the locomotion, to name a few. So this one is true in that time warp was added, but it's completely false that it wasn't in the original production. It was added during rehearsals, and nobody ever saw the show without the time warp. It was there on opening night. It's there on every single soundtrack recording. It was added while workshopping the show. But a lot of things changed before the show opened. This was just one of the many, many changes. Not so great on that one, Cracked. And if you think that one was iffy, here's the next. According to Cracked, Tim Curry did his own makeup. They hired Pierre LaRoche, David Bowie's makeup artist, for the film, but it would take him four hours to do the look, so Tim Curry decided to just do it himself. That's just not true, right? This one is egregious. So it's true that Tim Curry did his own makeup during the stage show run. That's pretty commonplace for most actors. And it's true that Pierre LaRoche was consulted for the film adaptation. But from all accounts, he contributed very little. He was never on set and never once applied makeup to any of the actors. That was handled by Peter Rob King, who, in From Concept to Cult, recounts that he and his team were responsible for all the makeup in the film, and he could not recall any materials that were given to him from Pierre LaRoche. I'll cut cracked some slack on this one. They're citing a quote from that same Guardian article from before that was interviewing Richard Hartley. If Hartley got this wrong or was misquoted, I have no idea. But Tim certainly didn't do his own makeup for the film. And Pierre LaRoche, while involved in some capacity, who knows? He certainly never picked up a makeup brush during filming. Next up, we've got one that seems straightforward enough. Peter Hinwood, Rocky, retired from acting after the film. He said, one, I can't act. Two, I cringe with embarrassment every time I see myself on film. He sold his gold shorts in auction for over $1,000 in 1994. I mean, that quote sounds right, but I don't think the price is right. Wasn't it like 400 pounds? Which, okay, adjusted for inflation and blah, 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 fine, 1000 bucks. Not really, but okay, fine. And Peter did basically stop acting shortly after Rocky. However, he did have one additional role that he played, albeit a very small one, for a television miniseries. But all told, that one's not bad, right? Pretty close to accurate. How about this next one, then? Susan Sarandon was very ill during filming. Sarandon recalls, I had pneumonia because I was obviously hardly dressed through a lot of it and damp. <laughs> damp. She was damp. Some might even say moist. Stop. Just stop. But, I mean, this is true, right? Yeah, I think we finally hit one in here that I don't have anything to disagree with. It's been extremely well publicized that Susan had pneumonia during shooting. 
She talks about it in many, many interviews. Good job, Cracked. Now tell us that the castle is a hotel. Close. The next little factoid is about Oakley Court, or as Cracked puts it, it was filmed in the same house as The Innocents. Creator Richard O'Brien explains, it wasn't an actual set. It was an old Victorian Gothic revival house a paddock away from the studios. So, this one. Ugh. Okay. Oakley Court is an old Victorian house that was just adjacent to Bray Studios. That part is true. But from all the research I can find, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here, The Innocents, a 1961 horror film, was not shot at Oakley. It was shot at the Gothic Manor of Sheffield Park in Sussex, with additional shooting at Shepperton Studios in Surrey, which is over 60 miles away from where Oakley Court is located. So, swing and a miss. Man, this one is really underwhelming. I'm pretty disappointed in Cracked. Seriously. Though, I blame this Guardian article they are sourcing a lot of it from. That thing has been cited so many times over the years, and it's just full of these little nuggets of misinformation. But it doesn't help that Cracked completely failed their critical reading check, and, uh, yeah, this is what we got. What's next? Well, this one seems good. The dining table surprise reveal was genuine. Only Tim Curry knew that the corpse was going to be underneath the tablecloth. The actor's reactions were real. So this one is at least, like, somewhat correct. We've heard it repeated multiple times, from Richard and Pat on the DVD commentary, in print, all over the place. But I think that this one is a bit more of an embellished story than anyone will ever admit. Because... If you look at the shooting script, you know, the thing that every single actor had, at the very end of dinner scene, you see this. Frank suddenly pulls away the tablecloth to reveal a glass coffin containing the decomposed remains of Eddie. Now, I'm not saying that the story is false. We've heard it enough times that I certainly believe the actors were shocked in some way about how the scene had been dressed. But, well, it, it was in the script, so... It couldn't have been that big of a surprise. Also, like, not to be a bitch, but the stand-in thing for Eddie's corpse is not good. Uh-huh. Like, I wouldn't be scared. I'd just be like, what the fuck am I looking at right now? Who took a shit under the table? Yeah, yeah like, honestly. It looks like, like a messed up cake from Cake Boss. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I would not be surprised. I'd be like, okay, this we're doing this shit today? Okay. But whatever. The next one, kind of a doozy. They say, Brad and Janet were actually dating. 20th Century Fox wanted the British production to include Americans, which is why they brought on real-life couple Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon. Yeah, and that's just not true. Like, yeah, Fox wanted Americans for Brad and Janet, but Barry and Susan were never a couple. It was 1974. Susan is still married to Chris Sarandon. This one is credited to Richard O'Brien from, you guessed it, that same stupid Guardian article. But I mean, a basic fact check would have disproven it. Barry has certainly gossiped about how attractive Susan was, and they were definitely a group under themselves during filming, being the only Americans and having actual film experience compared to the rest of the company. But a couple... no. Almost done. Two more. 
The lips in the opening sequence are magentas. The voice is creator Richard O'Brien's riffraff. The lips on the poster, however, belong to former model Lorelai Shark. Did we do it, guys? Did we finally find one that actually is completely accurate? I think so. Like, this one actually checks out. It's Pat's lips with Richard's voice and the poster is Lorelai Shark. Fucking finally. Good job, Cracked. And last but not least, from this listicle, Roger Ebert gave the movie two and a half stars. Ebert liked Tim Curry's performance, saying he's the best thing in the movie, maybe because he seems to be having the most fun. Well, that's also true. Ebert's initial review of Rocky was fairly critical. He recognized that Rocky, as a movie, was an imitation of the stage show, and that audiences interacting, as they would with a theater performance, was a necessity that was missing from Rocky on film. Was he super prescient for 1976? Well, maybe. His review didn't come out until August of 1976. If you can do the math, that means Rocky had already made a massive splash in New York and in other cities on the midnight movie circuit, before Ebert's review came out in mid-August. He completely neglects to mention the burgeoning fan phenomenon, but I find it pretty unbelievable that the foremost authority on cinema was just unaware of what was happening in theaters literally all across the country, especially in his native Chicago. And still, I'm going to hand it to Cracked. Like, this one is at least true. Ebert gave it two and a half stars, and the quote is lifted directly from his review. Like, all right. Amazing. So, 13 facts straight from Cracked, of which we can say, what, maybe half of these are mostly correct, with the other half ranging from, eh, maybe, to, you got the details wrong, all the way to, well, that's just fucking bullshit. I cannot wait for these to be quoted over and over for years to come. Lovely. All right, so you know how we did your thing. Yeah. All right, Nikki. What do you want to do for your big 50th Knack Snack special? We already started. What? 50 episodes. That means I want to do rapid fire 50 Knack Snack facts. And even though some of them sucked, I'll give you credit for all 13 that Cracked had, seeing as we just went through them. So 13 down, 37 to go. Come on, let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. Number 14. The original title of the play was They Came From Denton High. The title was later changed to The Rocky Horror Roar Show and eventually The Rocky Horror Show. Number 15. The original name of the riffraff character was Joe Vitus. Brad was originally known as Ricky. Both of those are in the Rocky Horror scrapbook in Richard's original notes. It's a super neat book if you're interested in checking out like the very beginnings of the stage show and seeing a bunch of really cool first-hand notes from Richard. Number 16. Tim Curry's audition song was Tutti Frutti. He was originally auditioning for the role of Rocky. Number 17. Some of the people who auditioned for the show at the Roxy when Rocky made its way to California were Richard Gere, Chris Sarandon, John Travolta, and Cassandra Peterson. You know her as Elvira. I love that. Also, Chris Sarandon. How random. This was before Susan had been tapped for the film. Number 18, and this is probably my favorite one, Mythbuster and geek royalty Adam Savage, now of the Tested YouTube channel, worked at the 8th Street Playhouse during its heyday and the birth of the Rocky Horror phenomenon. 
He was the projectionist. Holy shit, really? I love that for him. Yeah, legendary 8th Street cast members Ron and Hillary Maxwell just bumped into him at Comic-Con this year, dressed to the nines in their ghost-busting getup, and chatted briefly about the good old 8th Street days with Adam. Number 19. Frank's 4711 tattoo is a reference to a German cologne of the same name. It smells horrible. Tim Curry came up with it and drew it on with an eyebrow pencil during every stage show. It wasn't an obscure reference at all. He expected the audience to recognize it. And speaking of tattoos, if you're in the market for a boss Frankenfurter tattoo during this Halloween season, go check out New York City alumni Deadly Sting Tattoos over on Etsy. Uh, They will hook you up with all of the best tattoos you can get your hands on. Every single person on the New York cast uses them. And yeah, they're just literally the best thing you can get. Can confirm. And a little birdie tells me they might even be coming out with a 4711 tattoo. You know, if you're too lazy to do that one yourself. That's me. Number 20. The water cooler that Frank fills his cup from during Sweet Transvestite is full of red wine. As you do. Number 21. Rocky Horror was added to the National Film Registry in 2005. The National Film Registry selects 25 films each year showcasing the range and diversity of American film heritage to increase awareness for its preservation. Number 22, the dressing room at both the theater upstairs and the Chelsea Classic were co-ed. Jonathan Adams, in his autobiography, recounts an anecdote where the stage union rep stopped by to ensure that nobody was being forced to portray nudity on stage that they didn't want to. This was a hot-button topic for the union in the early 70s. Did you finish reading Jonathan Adams' autobiography? I did. It was actually really good. Incredibly little to do with Rocky in there. This was probably the only fact that I was able to pull out of it. He he doesn't even touch on Rocky until like five pages at the very, very end. But his story is absolutely fantastic. It's incredibly well written, although extremely weird and experimental. And once you kind of understand Jonathan Adams as a person, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, he wrote a really weird thing. I'm shocked. He's that kind of like, you know, artsy kind of new age bohemian kind of guy. But I I loved it. If you get a chance to pick up a copy, you probably should, especially if you can find it for cheap. But anyway, back to 50 fun facts. Number 23. Russell Crowe's first big professional show was the Australian production of Rocky Horror, where he played Eddie and Dr. Scott. I think everyone knows that. What I didn't know was that he was actually in 416 performances up through September 1988, including one production where he understudied as Frank, and at least a couple shows where he appeared as everyone's favorite sweet transvestite. Russell Crowe as Frank. Man, I would have killed to see that. There's footage of him as Eddie up on YouTube. Definitely go check that out if you haven't already seen it. But damn, I wish there was footage of him as Frank. And speaking of Eddie, number 24, Richard O'Brien originally wanted to portray Eddie. He had created the character for himself. However, Jim Sharman recognized the incredible dynamic that would be created by having the show's creator portray Riff Raff, the servant who usurps his master, and O'Brien trusted his call. Number 25, in the stage show, Dr. Scott was originally not performed with a German accent. This was to make the Dr. Von Scott exclamation, you know, before Eddie's Teddy, into a big reveal. Richard actually really disliked that Jonathan Adams chose to use the German accent for the movie, and many stage performers since have been shocked to arrive on set and promptly be told to drop their very well-prepared German accent. 
Fuck you for preparing for your role. Get fucked. Number 26. According to Tim Curry, Princess Diana once asked to meet him, where she reportedly said that Rocky Horror quite completed her education before flashing him a wicked smile. God, I love her. I named my dog after her. Can you imagine? Number 27. In the film's DVD commentary, O'Brien reveals he and Patricia Quinn had smoked something exotic before filming Damn It, Janet. Love that. Along the same lines, here's number 28. There was a lot of reported drug use during the filming, along with the cast and crew dividing up into several little cliques. This is actually probably a topic for a whole episode. The Let's Get High episode. Are you guys not high right now? That explains a lot. Whatever. Number 29. Sue Blaine was extremely hesitant to take on the initial stage show. The pay wasn't great, the budget was tiny, but after drinks with Jim Sharman and seeing that people she had worked with before, like Tim Curry, were involved, she reluctantly signed on. And speaking of Sue Blaine, number 30 here, she designed Frank's sweet tea corset, but not for Rocky. It was a reused corset that Tim Curry had worn in a production of The Maids, which she borrowed from the previous production to save on costs. And because Tim looked so damn good in a corset. Yeah, he does. Number 31. Elvis Presley saw the show at the Roxy in L.A., where, according to Meatloaf, they spoke afterwards, with the king asking him if it was true that everyone had been pushing for Eddie to be portrayed as an Elvis impersonation, with Meatloaf responding that he chose not to because, quote, there's only one you and only one me. Number 32. The close-up shot of Frank after Hot Patootie, where he is talking to Rocky in the elevator, was shot long after the lab scene was ripped apart. It had to be picked up much later, and you can tell that Tim Curry's makeup isn't quite the same as when the previous shots were filmed. Number 33. On the night of the final rehearsal for the stage show, Jim Sharman stared blank-faced at everything Tim Curry did. Curry cracked under the pressure and told Jim that he was behaving like an absolute bastard. If only the character you're playing was an even bigger bastard, Sharman replied, and Tim's eyes glinted. What a motivation. Also, Jim Sharman, low-key, is just an asshole. Number 34. The 2000 VH1 Meatloaf biopic, To Hell and Back, features one of the most horrifyingly non-screen accurate versions of Eddie ever portrayed on screen. Spliced into actual footage from the film, it features probably one of the worst Eddie costumes I've ever seen, including an honest-to-God cheese grater around his neck instead of a Melbro slingshot. The full movie is up on YouTube, but don't hold your breath. It's horrible. Number 35. According to Jim Sharman in his 2008 autobiography, he believes that he has, quote, only seen two people play the transvestite Frankenstein to perfection. Tim Curry, who created the role, and Reg Livermore in Sydney. Reg was a tough cookie, Betty Davis style. Tim was on the sweeter side to Frank's bittersweet equation. Number 36. For the 1976 Mexican interpretation of the stage show in Mexico City, the show's title became El Show de Terror de Rocky. The script and songs were translated into Spanish, including renaming some of the characters. Janet was now Chelo, and Brad became Carlos. Damn it, Chelo! Oh, Carlos! Number 37. 
Speaking of weird adaptations, in 2008, an Australian production directed by Gail Edwards starred recording artist Iota as Frankenfurter. Iota was the winner of several awards, including the Helpman Award for his performance as the lead in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Hi, Rowan! Fun fact about that 2008 production, they revamped the show into a bright, glitzy, flashy cacophony of colors and lights. And for the start of Floor Show, Frank rode in on a giant penis. That show did not last very long. Number 38, at Oakley Court, which is where the movie was filmed, today, in the same spot where the coffin clock stood during filming, is a magnificent grandfather clock. No skeleton in this one, but it is a pretty sweet antique. Number 39. In shock treatment, the layout for Nation and Cosmo's office is nearly identical to a set that Brian Thompson designed for the 1972 film he worked on with Jim Sharman titled Shirley Thompson vs. the Aliens. That film also features a shot that is nearly identical to the one used in shock treatment for Lullaby, where the camera slowly dollies across a series of vignettes and then back again. Number 40, Almost There Boys. During the original stage show run, according to Rainer Burton, one night immediately following Curtain Up, both he and Tim Curry had to dip over to the gentleman's toilet for a quick pee break, already fully clad in costume. When they got to the gents, they found a short elderly gentleman at the middle urinal. They took up spots on either side of him and took care of their business. After the man had left, Tim Curry turned to Rainer and told him the man was none other than American playwright Tennessee Williams. Rainer takes pride in the fact that there aren't many people, alive or dead, who can claim to have shared a row of urinals with Tennessee Williams and Tim Curry at the same time. Tennessee Williams, as in a streetcar named Desire, cat on a hot tin roof? Like that guy? The one in the same. Go figure. Number 41. Little Nell sparked a bit of controversy when she appeared on British television's London Weekend Show to perform her debut single, Do the Swim, and accidentally reprised the pool scene from Rocky by exposing her nipples to the watching audience. Uh, according to Nell, in a later interview, the bathing suit didn't fit properly. Sure it didn't, Nell. Yeah, sure it didn't. Sure, because you don't just love flashing your tits to all your fans. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I sure do. <laughs> Number 42, you may have all heard of Rocky Horror Shows His Heels, the unreleased original treatment that Richard O'Brien wrote as a sequel before switching gears to develop shock treatment. A lot of the songs from Shocky were directly written for Rocky Horror Shows His Heels. But did you know, before it was called that, the original name for Richard's script treatment was Curse of the Baby. Dun dun dun. Number 43. While we're on the subject of shock treatment, fun fact, it was turned into a stage show musical in 2014. It ran at the King's Head Theater for about three months. Reviews were positive, but blasé. The incredibly prescient mass-market reality TV angle had already become a reality, leaving audiences feeling the material was dated. Number 44. In 1979, playwright Bill Gleason wrote a play intended for middle school students titled The Clumsy Custard Horror Show. The plot has very little to do with Rocky. I mean, how could it? It's strictly PG rated. But it does incorporate a ton of audience participation into the sci-fi musical. Number 45. Susan Sarandon recalls twice that she went to see Rocky Horror in theaters since its premiere. In 1982, she took the young Molly Ringwald to see the film as they prepared to shoot The Tempest, and she saw it again in 1998 during the making of Anywhere But Here. 
She said, quote, I took Natalie Portman and my daughter and Lucas Haas and Thora Birch, who was in the movie also. Apparently, the experience had changed a bit too much for Susan's tastes by the 90s. She said, quote, The audience has diminished. It was everyone just shouting obscenities for two hours, and you couldn't understand what they were saying. There used to be a bit of organization. I sound like an old lady, but there was total anarchy. Sure, Susan. Just casually go see Rocky with Natalie Portman and Molly Ringwald. All casual-like. And then fucking complain about it. (laughs) Number 46. It wasn't until 1979 that the original run of the Rocky Horror Show played on a traditional proscenium stage when it moved to the Comedy Theater, where it played until late 1980. The biggest adjustment for the new space, Frank's entrance could no longer occur from the back of the audience and allow him to enter the stage from the long catwalk extending out into the aisle. The original stage show run lasted a total of 2,960 performances. Number 47, many of the Transylvanians were hired through a London casting agency that specialized in unique-looking individuals. The incredibly politically incorrect name of the company? The Ugly Agency. Which, like, fair. Not gonna lie, the Transylvanians are some weird-looking motherfuckers. But you don't need your agent to call a bitch out like that. Like, damn. Number 48. Wrapping us up with some facts that you wish you could unhear. Alvin and the Chipmunks once covered the time warp on the official album The A-Files Alien Songs. And, well, it is exactly as horrible as you would expect. Here, take a listen. No, 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 no. Enough of that. No. Number 49. When Tim Curry was asked what role was his absolute favorite of all time, it wasn't Rocky. Not even close. It was 1996's Muppet Treasure Island, where he played Long John Silver. It was one of the happiest sets I've ever been on, said Curry. There's a conspicuous lack of ego among the Muppets. Number 50. And last, and certainly least. Coming in at number 50 on our Nikki Asks a Question 50th blowout episode. The most important Rocky horror fact you will hear today. Share it with your friends and tell them that you heard it here first. The castle is now a hotel. Actually, it's an estate. And that's our show. We want to thank Jen from the New York City cast for her heads up about boss tattoos and to Sam the Hobo for sending us a fantastic bottle of whiskey and to you, the audience that is tuned in to listen to us stupid fuckers talk about Rocky Horror for 50 fucking episodes. Thank you so, so much. And here's to 50 more. And I want to offer a huge congratulations to friend of the show, Gretchen, for making her debut with RHPS Buffalo this Saturday. Yay, Gretchen! If anyone has a question that they'd like to answer on air for Nikki Asks a Question, or some community news they'd like us to talk about, or even a cool story to share with the community, we would love to include it on our show. Just go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to tell us about it. If you're enjoying Rocky Talkie, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It makes the podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps to grow the show. 
And if you want even more Rocky Talkie content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. There's you know, nothing this wrong could be... with talking about perfectly natural human bodily functions. There's no reason for us to shame people for things we all do. Next, you're going to try to shame people for farting, etc. Seriously, Aaron, you're <laughs> you're a part of the problem. Yeah, well, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, you know, etc., etc. Mm, you make good points. Peas and carrots, bitch. Daniel's going to have a great time editing that. His name's Aaron. His name's Aaron. Aaron is going to have a great time Hi, editing Aaron. that. Hey, dude. I Sorry, literally, John the reason why I said Daniel, Daniel is because I'm scrolling on Facebook and I pass somebody <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron Daniel. Well, John's Aaron here Daniel. for this. Baby batter. Clam sauce. Stop. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I, in good faith and conscience, cannot support this. We're just going to keep adding O's to it until you say it. What is it, Spooge? Well, there we go. Who the fuck calls it Spooge? You put a trampoline on a boat? Why not? Well, the the boat moves, and you jump. Well, if you jump and and land in the ocean, it's not like you're going to take fall damage. (laughs) God damn it. Nikki, I like the way that you think. (laughs) I mean, come on. I'll be honest. Every video game that I'm able to play that requires me to jump from it or any video game that I play that there is some way that I can jump from an extreme height. You bet your ass the first thing that I do is jump from said extreme height. Oh, yeah. You got to find out what the fall damage rules are. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I need therapy for that or not. Hold on one second. I need to tell Savannah that this fucking says this. Okay, let me turn my light on because the sun is going down and it's so sad in here. I'll be right back. Savannah, come here for a second. I just, Savannah just needs to know that this is something that a cracked article says. Right? Okay, Savannah, so we're doing a Nikki asks a question. Okay. And it's, we, we are debunking a cracked article that says like 13 facts about Rocky that you didn't know. Okay. One of them says Tim Curry did his own makeup. They hired Pierre LaRoche, who is David Bowie's makeup artist, but it would take him four hours to do the look. Four hours to do Frankenfurter makeup. Uh, In 30 minutes with a box of crayons, (laughs) I could do that makeup. Thank you very much, Savannah. Pierre, you're being paid too much, babe. Damn it, Chelo! Oh, Carlos. <laughs> Wait, what is damn it in Spanish? Hold on. Oh, yeah, that would probably have been better. Andrea? I want to see if it rhymes. Goño, cello. Don't ever mention the Spanish production of Rocky Horror around Andrea because she will burst into song. She loves the tacha <laughs> from the Spanish cast. She's always just like, toca, toca. And I'm like, Andrea, please. I'm sorry, what is that? It's like Toka Toka May, I think. (laughs) I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. I took French. Okay, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, But it's very cute. Anyway. Hey, hey, Aaron. Yeah. Do you like Wendy's? I I do. You're going to love it when these nuts are in your mouth. Oh! Damn it.
Hey, Nikki. Yeah. Nikki, did yeah. you hear about um, about that person that were on the news earlier? Nikki Howard? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, I'm Nikki Howard, these nuts going to fit in yeah. your mouth. You did this to me yeah. last time I was on air, jackass. I mean, I'm going to do it I every remember, single time that you're on air, jackass. I did it to ass. my boyfriend, and he got mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you fell for it? Well, no. no. I, was like, I was like, do you know an Alex Howard? Text me right now. And he was like, what? No. What's going on? Hello? And I like didn't answer him. He got scared that I was like mad. And I was, like, All right. Alex well, that's Howard, not my fault. That sounds like your now. fault for no, not answering that's on immediately. You. You're responsible for everything that I do. I would have been surprised to find out Nikki has some nuts, too. Um, that's literally none of your business. Aaron, wow! If that's script, even your real name, gotta go. The script was Bofa. <laughs> I'm Bofa I'm ending D's my nuts. recording. Bye. Now. Damn it! All right, admit and stop.